Hey guys, it's your host, Johnny D. And your host, Brent Baxter. And we just wanted to share some big news with you. The Climb Show Music Business Podcast is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. That's right. We're super excited to be part of this network along with some other amazing podcasts. So make sure you check it out on americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast or click the link in the episode notes to listen to some of the best shows and music. That's right. All right, Johnny, do your thing. Welcome to the climb. This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. Leverage is what you're going to need to get ahead. And we're going to talk a lot about that on this episode, I can tell you. You're going to need to have that business happening. You're going to need to have the fan base already built up. You're going to need to have some songs written if you're going to get that record deal, that management deal, that booking deal. That's why we call it the climb. C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. It's genius. That's a Baxter name created by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. He's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And Brent helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on a regular, he gets you opportunities to connect with the pros. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. So if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists such as Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing all right. How you doing? Good. I'm excited about today's episode. We got a lot of questions about the artists with this manager, Scott Gunther, handling some artists that really, they didn't need anybody's permission to get it done. Let's just say it that way. They started making business happen for themselves and then elevated themselves into this amazing pro status. I'm excited to dig into that with him. I know you are. So before we get there, let's take care of a little business. Join the Climb community if you haven't done so already. You have to ask to be let in, but we let everybody in. This is a great, thriving environment. This is not one of those Facebook groups where you're shouting into a corner. It's indie artists, songwriters, it's singers, everybody asking questions from everywhere, from songwriting to music industry stuff to marketing, digital marketing, all that kind of stuff, getting good answers and good support. So join that, subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume podcasts, leave a rating and review. We're trying to get to 200. Be honest with the rating and review for five star, but if it's a one star, we'll still read it over the air. <laughs> Try to at least make it funny. Yeah, that's right. And then at the very least here, tell a friend about it. If we're commanding this much attention from you on a weekly basis, you're getting something out of it. So try to relay that to another artist, another singer, another songwriter, and let them know what's up. That's right. And in the climb community, we always like to try to share a win for the week. So we post the new heights segment every Wednesday. So this is a place where you can brag on yourself and big or small. We love all the wins. And so I just want to share one or two with you. This is from Uncle Brent and No Stone. No relation. He says he has a new video coming out in two weeks and has a marketing plan, too. So congratulations on that, Uncle Brent. Congratulations. Yes. And Sunday Joe Graham has a Christmas parody coming out called Holly Dolly Christmas. New song coming out from Sunday Joe. So good luck and congrats on all that. All right, Brent, why don't you introduce our guest here today? All right, happy to. 
Today's guest started his career as a mail clerk for Nashville's RCA Studios, or RCA Records. He moved up through the ranks, making his way to the position of catalog manager at Alma Irving Universal Music Publishing. While he was working there, he signed and developed songwriters and recording artists, including hit songwriters Anthony Smith, Tony Mullins, Bobby Terry, and John Kennedy. He also worked with other hit songwriters, including Craig Wiseman, Annie Roboff, Steve Robson, and Aaron Enderlin, among others. After spending time as a writer manager for Drew Kennedy, our guest is now working management and AR for Durango Artist Management, working with rising artist Cody Johnson, Roger Krieger, and Randall King. Scott Gunter, welcome to the climb. Welcome, Scott. Good to be here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Cool. All right. And you've been making noise for a while, so we're glad to be able to talk to you. And Scott, there's several things we'd love to cover today, more than we honestly probably have time for. But here's the goal, is to inspire, educate, and challenge the climbers out there, the listeners of this podcast, the climbers who want to make it in the music business. So we want to help them along the journey. We want to help them climb. So that's the goal. You on board with that? Yeah, sure enough. Excellent. All right. I'm going to start with the first question. Then Johnny's probably going to harangue you and monopolize <laughs> the time for the rest of our time. So I'm going to get one in. So your current position with Durango, can you just kind of break it down for the listeners? What a manager A&R guy does, what takes up your time during the day? Whatever's needed. <laughs> it's everything, you know, it's mm-hmm. finding acts to finding songs, to helping them with their songwriting, to overseeing the collection of all the income streams from streaming to uh, mechanicals to performance. I go through statements. If there's a statement, I go through it. I'm Mm. de facto music business manager. What I found out is business management don't get into the deeper dive on statements. Mm -hmm. I go through every statement, through every platform, through every quarter, through every song Mm -hmm. to ensure that the PRO money is coming in to the uh, Harry Fox money, which is not coming in. <laughs> Harry Fox is a dumpster fire. Oh. And is going to be going forward with the MLS hiring them to be their uh, person that collects. But anyway, it's another whole rant. So anyway, I do that on that side to, uh, like I say, set up co-writes to oversee with Randall. I manage him with Howie Edelman. Howie runs Durango Artist Management, mm-hmm. and he manages Roger Crager. With Roger, all I do is oversee his income streams. He's been kicking ass in Texas for years, and he doesn't mm-hmm. need my creative opinion on anything because he (laughs) he does what he does and it's his own creative entity i guess you'd say Mm -hmm. with cody we were a little three-person team up until recently and until the last year and now we uh hired on another kid that's been great that helps us clayton and so with cody the only thing i really do now outside of i still go through his statements is help him make his records which is the song search process and then play him songs and kind of getting his feedback and we have a partnership with warner or cody but we're doing exactly what we've always done with cody which is chris lacy's been great and they mm-hmm. over there are great but cody enjoys the way the record has been made and so we continue to do that which is find the best songs and he makes the music he loves and then tours and we market what he makes. He does not make music for radio, for country, for anything. He makes it for himself. That's the only way he's going to go about it at this point. So that's the main thing I do with Cody and on Randall King. I brought him in, I guess, 2017, officially full-time 2018, as far as Mm co-management with him. 
it's everything. I mean, it is literally everything from overseeing the, you know, he's got a writer deal with BMG. Chris Oglesby signed him and Chris is a brilliant, as good as there have been in the last. Love Chris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love Chris. He's great. Brilliant. He's uh, on the creative side. I've learned so much as has Craig Wiseman and David Lee and Luke Laird and Barry Dean. They've all benefited from Chris's brilliance. Mm -hmm. We did do a deal with BMG for Randall King and Chris helps me uh, with that. In addition to the reason Garth, Brooks knows Randall is because of Chris Ogilvy. That's only mm-hmm. so he pitched him some stuff, and Garth just flipped out over it and has been a major, major supporter and an amazing human being with nothing in it for himself other than just a fan. So Chris has done that. Like I say, with Randall, it's everything. Overseeing his touring strategies, which is uh, so much, to uh, just the overall everything. If there's anything that's Randall business, I oversee that with Howie, and it's a lot, but it's it's incredible. That's awesome. So it's a mix of starting fires and putting out others. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either striking <laughs> matches or stomping flames. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately with Randall, I mean, I love working with him because like I say, uh, he's got a bus on the side of the road right now and he don't call me saying, what do we need to do? Randall does it. I love working with him because on a creative side, I think he's brilliant, mm-hmm. but on a business side, He's going to give me shit for ticket pricing, for all the stuff, the business side of it, the merch side, the merch splits. Randall's a businessman, and he's handling He's paying attention to everything. Absolutely. That's a good sign. Yeah, he wants to know what the deals are. If the deal with the club is not something that he feels is right, I hear about it. You know, it's like, why did we make this a versus deal, or why was this a flat deal, or, you know. On the upside, he don't just do whatever you give him. He asks, Mm -hmm. why is he doing it? On one side of it, it's more work, but on the other side of it, he cares that much and he wants to know. He's not somebody that's just going to do whatever you tell him. Neither is Cody either, but uh, like I say, with Cody, I don't have to deal with that so much as I say have to deal with. I just don't do that. Mm -hmm. He takes care of himself, and I try to help him as best I can to make the best of everything he's involved with. That's awesome. It reminds me of a story I heard about Jimmy Buffett years ago that when he was starting off early on in his career, he'd be like hiding out in his hotel room after the show, like going through receipts and different stuff and hoping nobody caught him because it would ruin his rep, (laughs) you know, of just being the, hey, party, Margaritaville, no worries. And then he's like, and then I'm sneaking back to the hotel room going through business receipts. (laughs) There's two sides to that. It was a manager I was talking two years ago and he was annoyed by that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i get it it definitely is a pain in the ass sometimes to convince artists to do something that you feel they need to do yeah but then again you know it's his career yeah i understood where he was coming from even though it's an interesting approach he wanted to work with artists that just shut up and did what you told him yeah it's kind of like raising kids sometimes i just want to go because i said so correct i don't want to have to explain it if i have a problem with that that's my problem that's not randall's yeah, it can be a pain in the backside for honest managers, but it's terrifying to dishonest ones. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the big things that I, just let me interject for a second, get across here is so far you've described all three artists on your management roster, artist roster, and they're all doing it for themselves. And you guys have come in and you make a good team together. But I think there's a lot of climbers out there that may be still a little bit foggy about how this whole thing works on a professional level. And, and you need to accept the idea that if you're going to be successful in this business, you've 
really need to know what's going on. And you really got to be doing all this for yourself. And it's nice when you get to the level where you can be attractive to a company like the Wrangell Artist Management. But part of what makes that attraction is how much you're doing for yourself. You know, you're a student of the game, you know how to delegate, and there's a business side to it too. There's a million different ways it works. Living in Nashville, I was raised around so many artists that had not a clue about anything. And, and they come to town and got a publishing deal and got a management company, and they had everything done for them. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's happened plenty of times over the years. And that's quite common years ago, and I think it still is to a certain extent. I don't like that approach, and it's still being done today. I have talked to some managers. I will have a million problems that I don't even know ahead of me. But the problems are interesting when I'm talking to some people and what their artists are bitching about as opposed to mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The only reason that Randall just called me is because he's trying to get the bus thing sorted so we can reschedule an interview. I wouldn't have known the bus broken down otherwise, put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's because he and Cody did the same thing. And Roger, those guys, they tour. They know what it's like because they booked themselves. They all did everything. And I've worked with a lot of brilliant people over the years. But at this point in my life, if somebody is really talented on a management level, the first thing I do is look at their calendar. Right now is the exception to the rule. But mm-hmm. I don't care how brilliant they are. I want to see how hard they're working in tour dates. And I was a kid I met with a couple of weeks ago. I heard his voice on just posted and it's a great singing, you know, and, and he said, well, I'm coming to town next week. I only met with him and he's booking himself. He's doing it all. And he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And he said, man, I'm calling these clubs, but he's a worker. Yeah. And I want somebody to know what it's like to call clubs over and over, and over to call radio stations over and over and over. I don't want somebody that's never had to do that for themselves and sold merch. If you never stood at your table and sold merch for yourself, you have no appreciation. I say, you know, it's so hard to have appreciation for what a TM can do, for what mm-hmm. a house guy can do, from what a merch guy can do, and for what a manager can do if you have never done it for yourself. Some people can, but I would prefer people like Randall to have sold his own merch, to have booked his own shows, to have settled his own shows, to know right from wrong instead of just assuming that it's... To know what's really going on so that when you're having conversations, whether you're having agreements or disagreements, that everybody knows what they're talking about and they're not off on some cloud, like a Prince cloud, like it's January 2nd and I need a camel for this video at two o'clock in the morning. Why can't you make that happen in Minneapolis? <laughs> <you know? laughs> I can really help people, but damn if I'm going to help people that haven't helped themselves, period. I love that. And I think yeah. that's the big thing. The big takeaway from that little piece of your mind there, Scott, for all the climbers is everybody they're going to work with is going to have talent. Right. So the talent's a given. What are they looking for? How hard are you working? Yep. Mm-hmm. How hard are you working? And this is a vertical that we talk about every day on this podcast, Scott. So I couldn't be more in line with that. I have a couple quick questions for you. Right now, all the artists on Durango Artist Management are Texas artists. Is that by design? No. I've been here 35 years and Howie's out of there. So that's where he came from. I look all over the guy, you know, that I was just talking about. I mean, I met with a guy out of Georgia, out of Nevada, out of the West Coast. The problem with finding artists in other markets, the numbers are so low for what we look for. I want to look for somebody that's touring. Mm -hmm. 
in Texas, there's a ton of them. In the South, you can find a couple. The Northwest, maybe one or two. The West Coast, you know, Northern California, one or two. You cover the country, and there's just a few here and there. In Texas, now, good or bad, there's a shit ton of them. Yeah. And I look all over, and honestly, I could care less for Texas music. It's not even a format. Really, mm. some people think it is. It's definitely not a format. Cody and Randall, whenever I saw Cody in 2010, I didn't know. I'd been in town here for years and it worked with uh, some Texas songwriters. Robert O'Keen was signed to our company. This beautiful, great writer, Kimmy Rhodes. I worked with her. Walt Wilkins, another brilliant Texas artist. I'd been around him and knew his music and had set up co write. So I thought I knew a little bit about Texas scene till I went down there and I realized I knew nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's its own planet to be sure. I wish there was another planet even close that competed with it because it's the best planet for original country music in the country by far. Mm -hmm. There's no second place. Mm -hmm. No, I got in the car last week. I went out and do a video shoot on Randall for some stuff coming out and got in the car and the kid had the radio tuned in to a Texas music radio station. Mm -hmm. And you get in the car anywhere in the damn country and try to find original country music in the country realm in any state. Yeah. It don't exist. I mean, I say it don't exist. It's like... It's hard to find. Right. But it's everywhere in Texas. Yeah. There's a damn chart. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool as shit if every region, it didn't have to be a state, but every region had their own original country music stations and charts. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That would be. That's why I say Texas is its own planet. I mean that in the best possible way. You have artists in Texas that make comfortable seven-figure livings and the rest of the world hadn't heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. They do just fine right in Texas. I mean, it is its own thing and that's cool. I mean, I was not looking for a Texas act, but whenever I'd go to Texas for Roger or for Cody shows, I'd always drive around within a couple hours, two or three hours of wherever I was going to be and check out local talent. And Randall just happened to be one in San Angelo doing a little acoustic thing. So, hmm. I mean, if I've been going to anywhere else, I'd been doing the same thing. I love that. You brought up Randall. Let's go down that rabbit hole for a little bit. When did you start working with Randall King? Officially, 2018. I met him in 2014 and started unofficially working with him 2017. Okay. So my understanding isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, I might've misheard this, but like at one point he had 11.5 million on-demand streams. Mm-hmm. How did he do that? Was that on his own? Everything that we do is touring. It ain't playlisting. It's literally touring. Cody was built the same way. Yeah, I was in charge of trying to get his songs playlisted before we signed to a major, and it was a miserable experience. He got played mm-hmm. on nothing. Yeah. We finally got him on the Texas music playlist on the Gotta Be Me record on one song. Hmm. So do you think with Randall here, if you had to pull a percentage out of your hind end, like how much of those 11 million streams came from being discovered from touring and how much of those 11.5 million streams do you think people discovered on Spotify? I'd say less than 5%. I don't even know if there's a number that would qualify that the help that has been from the exposure for us, we have seen streaming and it's not that I would say we knew what we were doing at the time. Cody was a great experience, even though it sucked at the time because we saw 
what you could do by touring because he was played maybe once or twice a week on Sirius XM before we signed the uh, partnership with Warner. Mm-hmm. Randall, the same thing. Playlisting, we ain't ever touched new boots. Our focus is not to get on playlists. Our mm-hmm. focus is to tour and market on a touring level as best we can and to release great content as we can. You know, we try to do great videos, and Randall's great about working the social platforms. Mm-hmm. Everything we do up to this point has been driven by touring. I love that. It's not literal, but whenever you see the plays that we pull over that we get from whatever playlist we do get on, our uh, library is where our listeners are coming from, not from a Spotify playlist. And just to be clear, you're going to call those on-demand streams versus playlist streams, right? Yeah. There you go. So I don't know if all the climbers picked up on something that you mentioned there, because I want to go down this road, is he didn't say when he was talking about Cody Johnson, the record deal that he has with Warner, the word that he used was partnership. And Scott, just to enlighten you a little bit about where we're coming from, and the reason we named this show The Climb, we've been doing this for almost five years now with this podcast, and we've always looked at Cody Johnson and also Granger Smith as I call them the messiahs of the new music industry. They got so big on their own that the record labels were tripping over themselves trying to sign them. And they were in a position of leverage. They didn't need the record labels, but they could get to the next level with the record label. And so a deal from an artist with all that leverage, I mean, Cody sold out the Allegiant Center, right? As an indie artist, 75,000 seats. Am I correct on that? Uh, Yeah, NRG, yeah. NRG, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. So to us, like I see this as 10 years from now, there's going to be a lot more artists who are in partnerships versus your run of the mill first 360 deal, which I'm sure Cody was pitched more than three or four times (laughs) before they ended up getting what they needed to get. Side note, maybe you can share this, maybe you can't, but I always wondered, it's my understanding that after five years of being courted by the labels, Cody ends up working with Warner and that manifested after what I heard was lunch and margaritas with Espo and Cody. And I just wonder what that conversation sounded like. (laughs) Was that just Espo going like, look, you're going to be on Warner. What's it going to take? I don't want a record deal. I want an imprint and I want these five things. And I don't want to talk about my cowboy hat anymore because I understood that was an issue, right? (laughs) Well, the Warner thing was interesting because Chris Lacey became a fan of him in 2010. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like I say, within six months of whenever I saw him, she had flown out actually with Kim Wiggins, the publisher, and uh, Steve Markland, I think, whenever he was at Warner. They mm-hmm. had flown out to see him back then. I don't know why or what happened along that way, but Cody just kept doing what he was doing. I say Cody, Cody did it with uh, Red 11, Jack Adelka, who ran it, and with Howie Edelman. What Cody does is still marginal music to the uh, mainstream radio market. You turn on radio right now, and it's not going to sound like Cody Johnson, for the most part. Right. Right. And that's fine. I came from publishing for 17 years, and I don't really begrudge what radio is or what most of the world is. And the playlisting, for example, on Cody, the reason that we didn't get playlisted is, you know what? None of the playlists sounded like him. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big Spotify and a big streamer, and I'm a consumer. I am still just the biggest consumer of music and i'm a big pop mostly listen to pop music and i always have and if something hits me wrong i just skip it Mm -hmm. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I listen to playlists kind of in moods. Whenever I was going through New Music Friday, back before it just got untenable, it was about 70 songs or so, and I'd plow through them. And if something just didn't hit me right, I just would skip it. I would try to listen to it, but I'd almost listen to playlists as moods. Mm-hmm. And Cody's mood, sonically, it didn't fit like anything else. So I can't blame John Marks for not playing his music because it didn't fit. That still is a role that plays in all of this to right now with his new single, Dear Rodeo, to the earlier music that Cody made. I mean, let's put it this way. If Cody was making the music that probably 75% at least of the guys were making in Nashville, he would have been signed, I think. Mm -hmm. But what he did was not a natural fit for the market. That's all there is to it. So I have a question about that. So there's no doubting the excellence of Cody Johnson as an artist and the response that he gets from this crowd. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. He's outworked everybody. How does he fit with Warner? What does Warner see in Cody as a amazing, but also marginal country music artist? How do they feel like they can help Cody if radio isn't going to be the answer? Because that's typically where their strong suit is, right? Yeah, definitely. That's the main reason that we went to them is radio. Okay, We could get to arenas, but we weren't going to be playing stadiums. The reason that he sold out NRG is 75, 74,000 people but those years is because Houston started playing his music down there a bunch. Okay. The big stations. The P1 stations. Absolutely. Just because they love Cody Johnson. Yes. That's interesting. What years did he start getting airplay? The song that we first got the big major airplay was with UIM. That was on the uh, Gotta Be Me record. And what year was that? Good question. Don't know. Well, good. I don't feel bad about not knowing it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say probably 2017. Okay. Something like 2017, 2018. So he got in some kind of rotation. Yeah. Wow. And at the end of the day, honestly, I have to admit, we do have better relationships with the streaming DSPs now. 
because of Warner's relationships with them, because mm-hmm. they're going to Warner for Dan and Shay, for Kenny Chesney, for Blake Shelton. The guys over there, Tim and Ben and all those guys, they speak to the DSPs every day about the acts that the DSPs need. Yeah, sure, sure. The reason that I got a shitload of songs cut for new artists as a publisher was because they met me because I was at first bringing in Craig Wiseman and Annie Roboff and all these hit songwriter songs. And so whenever I walked in with Anthony Smith or Travis Meadows, you know what? They wanted to meet with me because I had all the other songs. Same thing with record companies, you know, just the relationships, the dialogue that they have every day really has benefited us to a certain extent. Sure. That's what I was curious about. I mean, obviously, Warner is adding value to the team, but I just wondered if it was in an unusual way or if they're going to be behind getting Cody on more radio stations than just Houston. And how does that look? How does that work? Kind of a thing is interesting. We can all give record companies and corporate publishers or whoever all kinds of grief. But you know what? Those are some pretty damn smart people a lot more times than not. Whenever I talk to him, I am not talking to an idiot when I'm talking to the social media person or the head of streaming or the head of radio. I mean, sure. I may not agree with him. I may not like the music at all, but they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just curious about. Like, what's the puzzle piece there? And it's not me looking down my nose at Warner. It's just, OK, so is there some other way that they would? And this sounds like a terrible word, but in the music industry, it's a good word. How do they exploit that artist? Exploit sounds like a bad word, but I mean... That's a positive thing in the music industry. That means that they're working it. Like, how are they going to work it and grow the brand and do all this kind of stuff? And so you're saying that they're going to help them get on radio, which I think is awesome. I'm just curious, what other facets are they looking at? Are there niches or something that they know they can gain traction on? There's only one niche in this country radio, and it's pretty narrow. But that I can tell... Publishers, as they do at record labels, they have to be looking for the next wave always. Mm -hmm. Sure. Was it Dustin Lynch and Justin Moore back 10 years ago? Their first records were pretty dang country. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It did not work. But it's not that they weren't experimenting with it, because at the end of the day, the radio stations, the PDs, that world, it has to work for their market charters to it. Gotcha. Do they think it's working right now? I ain't going to say that they're going to go, holy cow, this is a no-brainer because it ain't. But they are aware that they want to be on the next wave. And honestly, whenever you walk in to a record label with millions of streams and at this point touring millions of dollars, it definitely gives anybody more confidence that what is out there is not reflected on radio. Yeah. And that's not just country. It's really weird right now, and I don't understand it. That Co Wetzel kid down there is killing it in Texas. I don't even know how to explain what it is. If it's maybe a modern day David Allen Co thing, it's irreverent, but he's grossing in the millions. And I mean, he wow. just signed to, I think, a Sony deal out of LA. Wow. But there's not a radio format for it. And there's Flatland Calvary, this band that's friends with Randall out of Lubbock. They're more Americana-ish, and they're killing it on touring. I don't know if they're going to be signing. I mean, I know they're just starting to get, I think they've just signed, I think started, I don't know if it's officially with a management company out of Nashville. And Parker McCullum, same thing. Parker's signed his deal here. Mm -hmm. These guys built it outside of traditional P1, I guess you'd say, terrestrial radio. The only thing I could figure 
is streaming was a big role to us and playlisting was not even a part of it. So let's go down that road for a second, because this is what I believe and tell me how my aim is on this, Scott. Okay. So when it comes to country music, especially discoverability for new artists on Spotify is almost nil. So when you have artists like you're talking about and you named off a bunch of artists right now that have built up significant business oh, yeah. activity prior to any record deal or anything like that. It's what got the labels on their scent to begin with. But when you have a Randall King, it was 11.5 million streams. He wasn't discovered on Spotify, but that's where they consumed them. And how were they discovering them? So sometimes it's touring. It's always touring. Are there other things that you're doing that are hipping a cold audience to a new artist. Here's a better way to put this question. How has Durango artist management pivoted to try to exploit the digital platforms more than they might've been doing it 15 years ago or 10 years ago? I don't quite know. I understand that or understand the question, but I'll tell you right now to sit here and say how brilliant we are at times. Isn't always probably the smartest thing for me to say (laughs) because I don't understand it. I do know we have a booking agent that is a badass, tireless agency from the standpoint with Randall right now, we pick an area and we go there. We try to get opening slots, but you know, we don't really have a lot of great opening opportunities for what Randall does, for what Cody does. It's just apples to oranges as far as what the opening slots would be as far as opening acts. The thing that made no sense to me with Cody before we signed the deal, I look at the streaming before, you know, we signed to Warner because I was doing admin and tracking the income for Cody. I was obviously the guy that knew the streams and the markets. Mm -hmm. I would send the exceptional markets to Howie and the booking agent just going, okay, we've not Mm -hmm. been there, but it's in the top 20 of his streaming hotspots or the streaming uh, analytics. Yeah. But it wasn't like crazy numbers. I remember saying, you know, saying, man, we need to play in North Carolina. We'd never been in the state, been to South Carolina, and really very little. And went there February 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. 2017, probably. First time in the state. The club owner, it took a long time to get the club owner on board. It was Cody Joe's. Is that what it is in Charlotte? First time they'd ever been in the state. Uh, 3,000 people showed up. Nice. Yeah. You can't make that happen by promoting it. You can't make that happen by a geo-targeting. You couldn't see that. I've heard some one manager tell me he just looks at his streaming numbers and go to those markets. There's nothing that would have said 3,000 people is going to show up based on the streaming numbers in that market. Randall played in February at Lebanon, Tennessee, 30 miles from here. He opened for Cody at the Ryman a year before. Only thing he'd ever done in the state, in the Southeast. He played Lebanon, Tennessee, somewhere in February, and pre-sold out 600 people at Lebanon, Tennessee. So somebody needs to explain to me how the hell either of those things are possible. Well, what were the promotion efforts specifically? How did people in Charlotte know that Cody was coming other than the club put it on their website and on their Facebook page in Lebanon? You do your geo-targeting as far as for Facebook ads, for Instagrams, you know, you do your standard social media pushes in the region, but people ain't showing up because they saw it on Facebook as much as they're aware of the show, but it ain't the reason they go to the show. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they're listening to the artist or yeah. they've been turned on to the artist by other forms of promotion. Yeah. Do you think it's mostly word of mouth or are there other things that are, you're doing with? No. Okay. So how many more Facebook ads like on tour promos, Scott, have you done in the past 24 months versus the past 20 years or 15 years? Now say it again. You had mentioned that you do the geo-targeting on Facebook ads and stuff like that. Do you find yourself doing a lot more of that now than you did, say, 10 years ago? I was doing none of this before, but I wasn't in the business. I wasn't in management. So I can't really speak from how it's done previous to the last five years because I just wasn't in the business. It is interesting when I hear people talk about how it works. I do remember whenever I was trying to figure this out, it reflects what I ran across. I went out to sell T-shirts for about three months back in 2012. I was trying to figure out management and merch and the road and touring and everything. Mm-hmm. Before I left Universal, I'd heard the early Brantley Gilbert stuff before he signed to Big Machine mm-hmm. and was a big fan of that early stuff. You know, it was kind of dark and dysfunctional and angry, and I just loved it, you know, because I'm a little <laughs> from Georgia. It would have been my redneck Jesus type of stuff. So I was out and we started Mid-America and spent three months, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Montana, Dakotas. And I would be at the merch table selling merch. And I'd ask everybody that came up or not anybody, but you know, whenever I could, y'all ever heard of Brantley Gilbert? Every place I was at had heard of Brantley Gilbert. This was 2011, 2010. Wow. Streaming didn't even really take off much at all till two or three years after that. Mm-hmm. He had a YouTube video, that kick it in the sticks video is the one that I just thought was badass. And it was, you know, it was done before Dan and I have started doing sides on them. And I can't remember. I don't even know who's producing them then. And I would ask him details about the video and they knew the video because I didn't believe it. <laughs> and how they knew about it, no idea, but they did. That's amazing. I was like, how is that possible? I mean, like I say, we are very strategic in the markets. Now that we're on major labels, we look at the areas that Red 11 and has sent me like, here's opportune markets for acts that we work with. Cause that's why I want to, I don't know all over the country. What's the markets that seem to be open to independent country music. Mm-hmm. And I got a map of that. I got a map of the billboard stations. I put that across the map of his top streaming markets. I put that on the indicator stations, which we do hire a secondary radio guy that does the smaller markets. Jury's still out on the impact of that. I just don't know. Howie is a big believer in that and said it helped with Cody. I'm still in the research process of that, trying to see where the feel is for secondary radio marketing. So I'm still looking at that. But I don't know. And I'm telling you, somebody can explain to me how 700 people showed up on a guy that opened for an act a year before and sold it out. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Cody did it exponentially at Charlotte three years before. Mm-hmm. You could really feel it of that level on social numbers, on streaming numbers. 3,000 people is a lot of damn people. <laughs> yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were the tickets? How much did the tickets cost? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure it was 20 bucks or something like that. Maybe. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm learning every day and I'm, I read every day to try to figure this out. But the way that we do it seems to be working. I would say so. Well, but we definitely have a plan in how we do it. We do market every show, be it with geotargeting, but we do know that that's not going to make them go to the show, but it is going to make them aware of the show if they know the music. Yeah. And that's really the thing that I feel confident in saying. Social media nor playlisting is going to make people go to shows, period. 
Right. I'll tell you, one of the things that we do, Scott, is we certainly use those platforms as a way to introduce people to artists and turn them on and make them aware of artists. And when you have an artist, the level of the artists on your roster there at Durango, there's already a party going on. So getting that art in front of new eyeballs and then they get it on, it's something that's really powerful. Hey, I'd love to go out to lunch with you sometime, sit down and just show you what we do. And maybe I can help get your head around it a little bit more because it's fascinating. Yeah, like I say, I can't pretend. And whenever I hear people pontificate on it, and there are some really smart people in this world that know a hell of a lot more than I do. But it is interesting in my little experience of it, when I hear people say how it works, it's interesting. We've met with artists before, major label artists that were saying how it works. And our numbers literally uh, contradict what they say is how it works. Well, I think it's different for every artist, whether it's a radio marketing strategy or whether it's a digital marketing strategy. It's not the one size fits all for radio marketing for as long as we've been marketing artists on terrestrial radio. And it's certainly not a one size fit all on, on digital either. For us, we absolutely need the help at radio. We absolutely take any help we could get from radio, from the DSPs, from everywhere. But we create the most compelling music we feel like we can that honor the artists that we work for. And then we tour and use whatever tools we have to use. Like I say, be it now at Warner with our DSP relationships, be it with the radio stations and the promotion teams relationships. And we want those things to help us do what we are doing, but we are not leaning on them to be the reason we're here. Sure. It's one cog in the machine. You guys got a lot of wheels that are turning and you're turning them brilliantly, I might add. The Warner's been incredible, honestly. They know that we do what we do pretty well. And they literally ask us, you tell us how we can help you guys do what you do because we feel like we do what we do pretty well. We can always do it better. We're learning and every day we're learning and trying to get better what we're doing. But they so far have been great with the Randall stuff, which I work with day to day. It's up to us and Randall to sit there and figure out for one, to create the content for two, what's the narrative? What's the story? What are we bringing them? And for us, we want to create content that's as strong or stronger than the, I uh, say, the narrative and story around the music as best we can. I want the songs to be great, and I hope that they're as great as they can be. But if we're just throwing songs out with no story around it and no narrative, I just feel like you're short-selling the artist. It's like, okay, we got great music. What's compelling about all of this? What's yeah. bigger than this? You know, instead of here's our latest 10 songs or new song, it's like, what is it about this song and how does it fit together and how does it fit in the bigger part of the artist? With Randall, everything we roll stuff out in needs to have a purpose to the packaging. Mm-hmm. Love that purpose. Yeah, I think that's great. I think if you look at those big Marvel movies or superhero movies, the music is like the fight scenes. That's big and wow and look at that. But it's the stories in between about the character that makes you care about what happens in the fight. Yeah. It's the story. It's like Iron Man and Captain America are punching each other. That's cool, but I care because I've followed them through all these stories for these movies for years, and I care about Steve and Tony. That's the story around it, right? Well, it carries more weight. But right now, Cody's new single, Dear Rodeo, he wrote that about literally letting go of a dream. Mm-hmm. That 
is so important. Reba's singing on it. I think it just released last week uh, as a duet. But that song is not about rodeo. It's about life and letting go. Randall's got the new series dropping tomorrow as far as the first song in the video next week. With Randall, you know, we're trying to roll out his music as a mosaic of him. Mm-hmm. There are little parts of him that if you stand back and look at it, you're looking at a picture of Randall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying for both those guys, we're trying to just what you were saying from the standpoint, we're trying to make the story around it as strong as we can, because if it's a song, it comes and goes and there's nothing attached to it with a memory or something that attaches to, you know, Randall's sister tragically passed away in the spring of this year. Mm. And the next series is dedicated to her. And all these songs, we did four videos, are going to point to his family and to what she meant to him and what his mom and his dad means and his friends mean. Each video that comes out and each song is specifically directly about that. They're parts of Randall. The same way Dear Rodeo is a major part of Cody. You know, these Mm -hmm. aren't songs, you know, and I'm probably not great with working with very many people, but these guys have major conviction about what they do. And it's a pain in the ass whenever you pitch them songs because they're not just going to sing along if it's a hit. They don't give two shits about a hit. Mm-hmm. I do, honestly, as a song whore. <laughs> You're like, play this one. <laughs> and they're just like, no, we all want it to be a, whatever it is, other than history, but it's their life, man. Every word in a damn song that they sing is their life, and they don't just sing over it because it sounds cool. It's got to be authentic to uh-huh. them, and they know what their brand is. I mean, I hear songs for Randall and Cody both, and I'm sure the publishers do not love seeing me coming just because I'm not a barrel of monkeys to listen to songs with because 99% of them just don't fit the life of Randall or Cody. Sure. And I think that's important. Let me step in as a songwriter here is that it's not so much about writing a great song and presenting a great song to an artist, which is hard enough, right? That's a really high bar to write something great, but it's also about the right song that fits with the right artist in the right way at the right time. That's the only thing it is. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that's my ax though. I can't say I can't answer for a Blake or a Luke. Uh, Brian or a Ford Georgia line because those are just whole different animals. And mm-hmm. I was talking to a publisher last night, a great publisher, Ron Stuvey. He's an old friend and a brilliant dude. He was saying, man, that sounds like a lot like we deal with for sync placements, mm. which I never thought of it. Mm-hmm. Cause I always remember sync placements almost have to be written specifically. Uh-huh. It has to be so damn specific. Right. Which it's that way with Randall and Cody both. Like I say, it's so narrow for those guys. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge, and I love it because (laughs) I love what they do. I love the heart of where they come from. I love the way they express it. But, damn, it's hard to find that specific thing. It's almost depressing to think, God, how hard it's going to be to find the songs that fit for him. Fortunately, Cody, we listened through thousands of songs for him for this new record that's not even come out. We just finished recording it, most of it. I know it when I hear it, at least I have a pretty damn good feel for Cody. Mm -hmm. I usually know it when I know it, but it's not predictable. Even songwriters, I was talking to somebody about signing songwriters that some artists are signing writers that cut what they do on a business level. That's really smart. Cody's not that predictable, nor am I. Cody's last record 
Well, he had some great songwriters on it. And this new record that we've just finished recording for the most part, there's a guy I'd never heard of. He's actually been around town and done pretty good. He's got three songs on this new Cody project. Cool. And he had nothing on the last record. We got one Tony Lane song, mm-hmm. which was on the last record that will be on this upcoming record, and maybe one other writer. But Matt Rogers is a great writer mm-hmm. that a lot of people knew in town, know in town, but he's got three songs on this new Cody stuff, and I didn't expect it. It's not even in writers. It's just people's songwriting, when they line up with where Cody's head is, mm-hmm. that's when he cuts it, you know? I think that's so important for writers out there that are climbers to remember this. That's why it's so much about the long game. That's why you can't put all your hopes and your dreams like I've written these three songs. And dadgum, it's just perfect for Cody Johnson or whoever. And then they pass on it and you're like, but that was it. That was brilliant. It may be great. just not the right thing. Or the right time. Or the right time. Right. If you're a creator, you better damn create in every possible way you can create. Mm-hmm. This is not the time to be a songwriter to me, I don't think, and go in a room and sit down and write a song and expect things to happen. As an artist, especially, you know, I think you need to be thinking creative in every aspect of your brain. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, Scott, thank you so much for this brain dump, dude. We learned a lot here. I think there's just so much that points towards you got to work, you got to work, you got to work, you mm-hmm. know, be creating on all levels when it comes to music, video, social media, all that stuff. And this is what it takes to create leverage in this new music industry. And that's great, guys. Listen, that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Scott Gunter, thank you for being part of this. Join the Climb community. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume the podcast. Leave a rating and review. We're trying to get to 200. And tell a friend about it, guys. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.